Crossroad International Church podcast. We're so glad you joined us. It is our prayer that God will use this message to bring comfort to those who are hurting, give hope to those who find themselves in what seems to be a hopeless situation, and to encourage the one who is struggling through a difficult season of life. For more sermon audio, resources, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit CICKuwait.com. We'd love to hear from you. Crossroad International Church, in case you weren't sure where you were, now you know. Um, But no, we are happy to have you. For those of you that it is your first time, just want to give a warm welcome. My name is Del, I'm one of the pastors here. And if you just have been away for a while, uh, we're glad to have you back. And uh, just uh, hope you feel at home, that you can sit back. I don't know if the person in front of you will appreciate you putting your feet up, but figuratively, we want you to sit back and put your feet up and just relax, and you're amongst family. And so uh, we're glad to have you here. Uh, just a couple of <clears throat> things I just want to mention very quickly. Uh, one thing is, if it is your first time, we'd love to get to know you a little better. Uh, and there's a table right outside here in the hall. And we just want to welcome you to just stop by there to say hi. And if you uh, want to give us just your information, name and number and stuff, we just want to be in touch with you just to see what we can do to, to help you and what we can uh, um, offer to to help you with. If you If you're looking for a life group, if you're uh, looking for prayer or whatever it is, we just want to be able to to do that for you and, and be there for you in that. Uh, the second thing, <clears throat> if you don't have one yet, there's uh, the books for the current series we're in are out in the hall. We suggest uh, a 3KD donation, but again, if that's, if you can't do that, by all means, just take a book. We'd rather you have this than to not. And uh, we will not, It's it's not a line-by-line, word-for-word thing. It's like you don't need this instead of the sermon. We will be preaching kind of some different aspects of the topics. Um, But this is something for you just to use throughout the week, just to kind of go deeper in your own study. And so I would encourage you to get one of these and uh, open it uh, during the week. Uh, It's a good thing to do along with your Bible, and so I'd encourage you to do that. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 4. If, uh, if you use the YouVersion app, we are on there if you can find us. Um, you can search for us and, and find us, and, and there are uh, the scriptures in there as well. Exodus chapter 4, and I'm going to read a chunk of scripture up front here that we'll be working from today. And today we're going to be looking at, uh, well, last week Steve spoke on how God is sovereign. We are in an Attributes of God series called God Is. and So last week we heard about God's sovereignty and very closely tied to that is what we're going to go into today, which is God's omnipotence, okay? That's a, a word that we maybe have heard before, but I'm not sure that we fully grasp and understand at times. And so I'm hoping to unpack that a bit for us today. So Exodus chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me. And here we have Moses. Let me set the scene a little bit. We have Moses at the burning bush, Okay? If you've read your Bible or if you've ever seen this story or watched the Ten Commandments on TV, you've seen this moment where God shows up in, the, in, in a burning bush and is speaking to Moses. And so that's the scene that we have. And so amidst that, this is where we pick up the story. Then Moses answered, but behold, 
they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. Again, speaking of his being sent to Egypt. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand, and he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it out Pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. How many of us should pray that more often? But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. So here we have this this moment and and this very uh, powerful image and very powerful scene of God giving instruction to Moses. And so as we begin today, we, um, again, we're in this thing called God is, this series called God is. And, and learning these attributes of God and understanding who God is really helps us and really directly impacts our relationship and how we respond with what kind of image we have of God. So let me just give you a, a, b- a brief illustration. I'm I need one of the kids here today. It means they're all in here. Bennett, do you want to come up here? You don't even know what you're going to do. You want to come up here? We're going to have you do a dance just like this. No? Okay, come here. <clears throat> and just stand right here. Now, Paul, can you come here? And Daniel, can you come up here? Can you come up? Yeah, Daniel. In the back, Daniel. Yep, you, yep, you're the man. Come on. All right. You never know what you're going to get here when you come here. You might get picked. Come over here next to Paul, if you would. All right. So what I have here is a 100-fill coin. Now, I want us 
to pretend, or we don't have to pretend maybe, but that this is, my wife is named Leanna, and this is her super awesome, amazing prized possession, 100 fills. It's pretty close. <laughs> 100 fills. And so let's say Leanna gives me this coin and entrusts it to me because she knows that I love her, she loves me, and, and she says, just take care of this coin and make sure nothing happens to it, make sure nobody steals it. And I'm like, okay. And so I, I take this coin and I hold on to it as tight as I can. And I'm like, I will protect this. I will keep it with my life and no one will take this from me. But then let's say Mr. Bennett comes along. I'm a little scared actually. Okay, you've arrived and he's arrived. And he taps the top of his head. This could be fun. And he stands on one foot. Now, so he gets here. And let's say Mr. Bennett here wants this prized possession, this beautiful little coin that's in my hand that I promise to protect. And he tries to take it. Take the coin. Go, just take it. Just take it. Seriously. Anytime. Just take it. Is there confidence and faith in me right now that I can probably hold this coin, at least for a little while? Okay, because we see probably a slight size difference, at least vertically. Um, okay, and he's still working. So, all right. We get, this could go on all day. All right, so go ahead and stop. Thank you, sir. Now, go ahead and give him a hand. Go ahead and sit down. You can't have a hand, actually. Let's say... These two bad guys, one in a pink shirt, rolls up to me. <laughs> it's for my joke thing earlier, just so oh, you know. Yeah, no, I got no the problem. mic now. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say two guys come up to me in an alley, a dark alley, right? Let's just set the scene. And they, I'm walking through this alley, and I've got this, this my wife's prized possession, this most precious thing in my hand. But these two guys, notice I got two guys, right? Yeah. Um, these two guys want this coin. They want this possession. We are not going to demonstrate this, okay? <laughs> if they wanted to take this from me, I'm looking at every single one of you, how many think that they could probably get this coin out of my hand at some point? I love you all. Don't worry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Just raise them high. Hang on. I didn't get a seat. Let me make sure I count. Get visual image of who you are. Okay. So if they wanted to come up and wrestle this coin out of my hand, we all can probably agree that this could be taken. This most prized possession in my hand could be taken away. Leanna's prized possession that she's entrusted to me could be taken from me. Do we agree? Okay. Give these guys a hand. Thank you. And do you want a coin? Okay. <laughs> There's always one in the crowd. Thanks, Rick. Leanna might have wanted that too, actually, but... So here's the deal, though. Here's, with this illustration, what I want us to see is this. Is in the end, Leanna, she can't really trust me if I am not powerful enough to protect her most precious possession from everyone and everything. Do you understand that? Do you see that? And so for us as followers of Christ, we should not only trust in God's love for us. I love Leanna. Leanna loves me. Love is no question. And I think for most of us, we don't struggle with how much God loves us. 
But also we have to know that the fact is that he is sovereign, as Steve covered overall, last week he said this, which goes hand in hand with the Lord's power or omnipotence. You see, when we trust God with our life, we are trusting him because of, not just because he loves us, but because of the power that he carries. And we have to get this image in our head. I meant to mark this page. Hopefully it won't take long. So I want to read a definition, and I want to actually utilize this. <laughs> Thank you. All right. In, uh, under lesson three, this is the definition in your book here. It says of omnipotent. The word omnipotent is a compound consisting of the prefix omni, meaning all, and the root potent, meaning powerful, so all-powerful. Put the two together, and you have the literal meaning of the term God is omnipotent, That is, he is all-powerful. The word almighty is used 56 times in Scripture, and all 56 refer to God. So again, God is all-powerful, omnipotent. Another way to say it is the quality of being all-powerful, normally understood as the power to perform any action that is logically possible and consistent with God's essential nature. Now, why do we say that's logically possible and consistent? Has anyone ever heard of the paradox of the stone? Okay, here's one that's just going to make your mind kind of spin a little bit. So if God is all-powerful, then can't he create a stone that is huge and gigantic? Yeah? And so he should be then, as being all-powerful, be able to create a stone that is so big that he can't lift it. But if he can't lift it, then he's not all-powerful. But if he's all-powerful, then he should be able to create a stone that's large enough and heavy enough that he can't lift. Is it hurting yet? And you just keep going around that, well, but God, you're... No, and so that's why this, this definition says it's logic that's logically possible and consistent with God's essential nature. God is all-powerful. God is almighty. In Revelation 19.6, it says, and this is John the Revelator saying, Then I heard what seemed to be a voice, the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. And that word almighty there is omnipotent. All right? C.H. Spurgeon says this, uh, he says, God's power is like himself, self-existent, self-sustained. The mightiest of men cannot add so much as a shadow of increased power to the omnipotent one. He sits, at, uh, sorry, he sits on no buttress throne and leans on no assisting arms. His court is not maintained by his courtiers, nor does he b- borrow its splendor from his creatures. He is himself the great source and originator of all power. God is all-powerful. God is almighty. God is omnipotent. All right, you're going to hear this a lot today. Now, we can all amen very easily all day to talk about the power of God and, and, and looking at it as like an external 
oh yeah, God's powerful and, and, and amazing as it's a thing to be observed. But the thing is, how is what I want to propose to you, or in many cases, why isn't that power being lived out through us day to day? I believe probably one of the phrases I hear the most often as a pastor and even in my own life is just, God, we want to see your power poured out. We want to see your move. We want to see you do something incredible. And so in our time together today that remains, I want to focus in on how God's omnipotence, his power is often displayed through an obedience of someone that is firmly established in faith that is firmly established in faith. One of the most familiar places in the word of God that we see this carried out is with Moses and the Exodus. God performed many miraculous signs, but they came through a willing and obedient servant, but one that was far from perfect. And so what we see here is, as we look in on on Moses' life and and the, the section of scripture just prior to that, again, most of us have probably seen the Ten Commandments, I'm guessing, um, hopefully you don't base all your theology off of movies, but um, if you've actually read the account, though, Moses, you know, again, was spared as a child, was adopted in, into an Egyptian family uh, under the Pharaoh and all these things. He grew up and then, again, wanted to uh, see the people released, and he got mad one day, killed an Egyptian guy, and then he ran for his life, okay? That's the abbreviated version. And he ran into the wilderness, and so, and then that's where this story picks up that we find him in the wilderness as basically a shepherd from Pharaoh's innermost courts to out in the middle of this desert tending sheep. And he's walking along, and all of a sudden he sees this bush that appears to be burning. And he turns, and the Lord speaks to him, and he begins to have this conversation. Imagine, we can say these things, but just think about for a minute if, if you had this experience yourself. If there was actually a bush or Maybe it's something else that's burning and you stop and notice and God is like literally speaking to you verbally, like audibly, so you can hear and having a conversation. Can you put yourself in that place for a minute, how you might feel? Would anybody feel pretty small at that moment? Would anybody be somewhat afraid probably? Um, You know, I mean, God tells them, take off your shoes. It's holy ground, you know? So we need to understand and get this image in our head of what's happening. So here's God, and he's beginning to show Moses what his plan is. And again, as we saw, as we picked it up there in verse 4, they're in this middle of this conversation. And, and, but prior to that, in verse 3, he said, he, again, he's telling him, God says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt, in verse 10. So what does God do? He he gives instruction to Moses, right? Now, again, most of us sit here and, you know, we're trying to debate if God's telling us to, you know, speak to this person or that person. Here, God is revealing to Moses that, hey, I need you to go lead my people out of Egypt where they've been held captive. Pretty big deal, right? Pretty big deal. And so, again, God has this, this thing, and he says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is God's instruction to Moses. Then in 3, verse uh, 11, it says, But Moses says to God, 
Remember the scene, right? Burning bush, this whole awe, wonder. Here we are in God's presence. And here's Moses. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, I don't know what kind of father you grew up with, but there's probably somebody in your life, if you were in the military maybe or whatever, but people that, there are people in this world, they tell you something, you don't, you don't believe, you say, yes, sir, and you go, right? And so here's, here is, again, Moses, and it's just funny to me that he's actually, God, you know, I don't, I don't do you know who I am? I mean, and so what you're seeing is Moses is presenting that he is inadequate, that Moses is inadequate to do the job, okay? He's, he's questioning God's decision on picking him to do it. Let's move on to verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Once again, Moses is questioning himself and his inability to be able to carry out this task. He's, he's asking questions of God. Like, it's not just, yes, sir, I'll do it, and then I'll go, and I'm sure you will be big enough, and you will provide a way when I get there. He has all these questions. He's like running down the list in his mind with God, the Almighty. And in verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Again, this is God's declaration to be able to say, I am. You know, we all say, I am. Well, you don't say, I am Dell. I say, I am Dell. You say, whatever, I am a banker. But God says, I am. He doesn't need anything else. Why? Because everything is held together in him. He is the I am. And so he's explaining this term how to refer to himself, and he says, I am, that is who, what my name is. And moving into verse four, I mean chapter four, here we go, verse one, and Moses answers, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Again, Moses questioning God's choice of who he was to send to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt ineffective is what he sees in himself. And moving down to verse 10, again, having this dialogue, Moses answers, or sorry, Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Here, Moses is admitting he is incompetent to do the job. So Moses is given four excuses why he shouldn't be the person that God sends. Ultimately questioning God's authority and God's choice because of the the way he views himself. Now remember, church, what we're reading here, this is an old Moses. I believe he was probably in his 80s, somewhere around there, who has long since been removed from the palaces and chariots and finer things, and he realizes, realizes he's going back to a place where people probably aren't going to like him too much once they find out who he is. This is a different life. This is a different world that he was living in at that time. And so picture your own life and what God has brought you from. 
And how many times do we discredit ourselves or question God's calling on you or what God is instructing you to do? What excuses are we giving God? What we see happening here upon close examination is a pattern of the Lord. And what we're going to see is that he gives his word prior to his power being revealed. And we're going to take a look at that. See, power will come on the scene following a display of obedience. The amazing thing, church, is that God can do anything he wants, but yet he chooses to accomplish things through people. Do you get that? We have a tremendous privilege and honor to be included in God's plan. God can do anything he wants, can he? He doesn't depend on us. That would make him, he would no longer be omnipotent, would he? If he needs our help. So as we look at this, I want us to see in these three examples of, of obedience that what we saw here, as we read earlier. What we saw there in chapter four is first a staff. And what does God say? God says to throw it down, right? He tells Moses, throw the staff down. And what happens? It turns into a snake. What kind of snake? A deadly snake, right? Because what does Moses do? He starts running the other way, doesn't he? Right? This is the guy that's going to lead the people out of Egypt. So this is a guy that tends to sheep and, and is familiar with snakes and everything else. Whatever this snake was, was enough to tell Moses that he needs to run the opposite direction. Okay? So this is something that is terrifying and definitely something that Moses felt was deadly. And what is God's instruction to Moses in this point? Pick up the snake by what? The head? The tail. Now, I, I don't know if you guys remember Steve Irwin and those kinds of shows. I've watched enough shows. Correct me if I'm wrong, if any outdoorsy people. I mean, I don't particularly think that this, the tail is always the best place to grab a snake by. Right? I think there's some snakes they can't actually get around, but I'm, I'm not willing to try that. Every time I see anybody get a snake, what do you do? You grab it by what? The head, right? Everybody done this before? We've got some snakes we're going to bring, and we're going to let you try here in a second, so hope you're taking notes. <laughs> but no, you grab it by the head, but here's God saying, Moses, grab the tail by the snake. It totally came out right in my mind. <laughs> grab the snake by the tail. Totally just lost my momentum. And what does Moses do? He grabs it by the tail, and what happens? It turns into a staff, doesn't it? Could God have turned it into a staff before Moses reached out for it? Sure. He could have. But he was looking for obedience on Moses' part, first to throw the staff down, and now he's in a situation where literally his life is on the line. Will you truly trust me? Grab the snake by the tail. Okay, God, finally, he's figuring it out. Moses is finally getting it right. He grabs the snake, and it turns back into a staff. There's an action. There's obedience followed by power. The next one we have, put your hand in your cloak. Again, I'm not going to demonstrate this, but he puts his hand in his cloak, and what happens? When he takes it out, it's covered with leprosy. Again, during this time and in this region, leprosy was basically a death sentence. There was no cure for leprosy, 
So once again, death has shown up on the scene, right? Could God have simply said, you see that? Yep, okay, you're healed. Could he have done that? He could have, right? But what does he tell Moses to do? Put your hand back in the cloak, the same cloak that gave you the leprosy, basically. Put your hand back in there, and he pulls it out, and what happens? He's healed. Obedience followed by power. And finally, and this is uh, something we didn't actually see happen, but he walks him through. He says, finally, your third thing that you'll do, the third sign you will do is to take water from the Nile. The Nile in Egypt was a sign of life and prosperity. It was called the father of life, the mother of all. Egypt was identified by the Nile. This was its lifeline to everything. It brought in all kinds of soil uh, for plant life and things like that. So this was the source of life, and that's what it, how it was viewed. And so he tells him, you'll take a cup or take, take up water. I'm assuming it was in a cup. And then he says, now, what you're going to do is you're going to take it and you're going to pour out that water. And when it hits the ground, it'll turn to blood. Now, imagine if you're Moses... And you take that water and you're sitting there with this cup of water in front of everyone. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, I mean, was it blood inside the cup? Does it say it was blood inside the cup or when it was in his hand or whatever? What did he have to do? It wasn't until he poured it out till it hit the ground that it would become blood. Again, God is calling from Moses obedience. And only through obedience do we see God's power revealed. So God asks Moses to do things that make absolutely no sense. Some are risky, dangerous. Others are are dangerous. But obedience is always required. Obedience is always required. And here we, too, in in this scene here, we see Moses getting nervous as he's attempting to justify his disobedience. He gives excuse after excuse why he shouldn't be the guy. Like God made a mistake. God didn't really know what he was doing because he chose the wrong person. And so he needs to move on to somebody else. He's trying all that he can to make every excuse. Moses is using his past as an excuse to not be obedient in the present. How often do we do the same? I look across the room here today and I see many amazing, wonderful faces and you all, you smell pretty good. At least I don't smell anything up here. You look nice. You're put together. I think you were singing pretty well earlier from what I heard. But what's in your past that no one knows about? What did you walk into this room with today that God is asking you, he's, he's telling you, I am calling you to do this. But you are coming up with excuse after excuse on why you should be disqualified from what God has called you to do. Because you're basing it on your ability and what you think, and by in essence, we're, you're saying, and I'm, I do the same thing. We say, 
God, your power is not great enough to use someone like me. Moses here, in every practical sense, was a failure. He had had education, wealth, potential. He had everything, and he ran away from it into the middle of the desert and was tending sheep. He was basically just nothing. He was lost. He was just out there doing nothing but just tending sheep. And God comes to him and calls him. Even though Moses was in this sense of failure, God chose to use him via his obedience and establish, and because he was established in faith. We are living lives of obedience that are established in faith when we are saying yes to what God has called us to do. And that is the question that we need to face is, are we truly being obedient to what God has called us to What is your desire level? Where is it at today for obedience to God? Don't blow by this question. Where is your level at with God for obedience to what he's calling you to do? How far does it go? Listen, church. Showing up here on Fridays is not enough. Okay, we're glad to see you. We're happy that you're here. Um, It's a great starting point for people. Like, be obedient. Show up, come on Friday, come to church, gather with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, fellowship with one another, be with one another, encourage one another, be consistent. That's a great place to start. But it goes much further than that. Maybe you come to church on Friday and you go to a life group. Maybe you go to a couple life groups during the week. And that's good and that's great. But it shouldn't stop there. It should not stop there. Where is your obedience level today? Is your life marked by obedience outside of this place or outside of your life group? Do people around you know that you are a Christian by what you say or by how you live? Are you engaging coworkers? Are you engaging neighbors or people you come across? How many times, and I say this from experience, are you at the grocery store or you're somewhere and and somebody's asking a question or you feel like a, a prompting, like God is kind of, the Holy Spirit's just saying, hey, talk to this person, and you, you just kind of blow it off because you're in a hurry or maybe, like, you know, it's an indigestion or something. It's not God. And you get home, and you just sit there and like, man, I wish I would have. I wish I would have said this. I wish I would have stopped and helped that person on the side of the road. I wish I would have offered to pray for this person that's hurting. That's obedience. And every time we choose not to obey, or let me, let me just throw a little curveball, if there is delayed obedience, 
that's the same thing as disobedience. You understand? Believe me, it's all good to go back around and get it right. But when God says it, we need to do it. My boys are all in here today. Just hide in the back there. But this is something we try to work on as parents because it drives me nuts, and I know it does my wife. Is, and I'm sure there's at least two people in here that can agree. When you ask your child to do something, your beautiful son or handsome son and whom we love, and then they wait 10, 15, 20 minutes, half an hour. They'll get to it when they get around to it. Does anybody else have these conversations with their kids? Like, when I say something, yeah. Because, you know, like, standing in the middle of a road, and I say, hey, get out of the road. And then they want to have, like, a conversation, or, hey, when I'm done looking at what I'm looking at. They don't understand the, the concept that, you know, sometimes you're t- telling them things for their own benefit, right? But delayed obedience is disobedience, So we're not talking today either about a perfect obedience. We're just talking about, are you really desiring after obedience that is established in faith? If you tell me right now to walk over to the light switch and turn it off, and you told me that, and somehow you you were my authority or something, and I went and did that, I would be obeying what you said. Would I need much faith to flip that light switch and to turn the lights off? Not really. I mean, most of us are pretty, it's a pretty constant thing, isn't it? We understand the light switch and it on and off. But when God is, is, is telling us something and he's calling us to do something where we don't know what the outcome will be, when he's saying, I want you to trust me and step out in faith and obedience, then... And only then is when we truly can see the power of God moving through us because we meet, he meets us in that point. In Psalm 1611, it says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So we have no excuse. He's made known to us the path of life and the path of life is made known through his word. We also often, I'm sure we hear these uh, sayings as well from people, or maybe we've even said it. I know I've said, God, if you would just show yourself to me, I'll do whatever you you ask. I'm not going to ask for you to raise your hands. I've done it. God, just show yourself. Just one thing. One thing. Just I don't care what it is. Just reveal yourself to me. Show yourself to me. Do you understand by this, what we've looked at today? Moses is literally in the presence of God Almighty with a bush that's burning but not being consumed, and he is still questioning God Almighty and what his plan is and what he's asking him to do. By our very nature, as fallen people, we will question. It doesn't matter what kind of fireworks display God put on for you. You are going to question when he, asks, he doesn't ask you, he tells you to do something that doesn't make sense here for you. Are you getting this? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that he is not like in your face speaking to you and you can't see because it wouldn't matter because you would still question what he's telling you because if it's challenging, 
we don't want to do it or we're scared of what the outcome might be. Sometimes we're afraid that we'll look like a fool in front of somebody else. Many of us do the lip service of calling Jesus master, but not really living it out. Let me tell you something interesting that maybe you haven't, you haven't picked up on in the scripture here. In verses 10 and 13 of chapter 4, in verse 10 it says, But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent. And in verse 13, he says, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Do you know what Lord is actually translated there? It's the word Adonai. We're not talking about Jehovah now. We're talking about Moses is referring to God as Adonai. Do you know what Adonai means? I'm glad you don't because I'm going to tell you. Adonai means sovereign master. Moses is calling God sovereign and master, yet questioning the very thing that God was telling him to do. How often do we say, oh, God, you're my Lord. You reign and rule over all. I surrender to your will. Go be a missionary in Africa. I'm out. Got to go. That wasn't God. Right? Pray with that person in the booth next to you in the restaurant. This food's really just doing something to me. What does it look like in your life? What is it that God is telling you to do, but you're making excuse after excuse, all the while calling him Lord, yet you can't even just take that step of what he's asking or what he's requiring of you. And notice what happens in verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. You know the kind of anger I'm talking about? If if you're a parent, I'm pretty sure you know that look. I can be out with my kids, and they're doing something, and if if I look, mine's typically accompanied by a snap. If I do this, and I look, they know exactly what's about to go down in their life, and that it's teetering right now on how long their existence is going to be. This is what's happened now in this moment, is that God's anger is fueled. Why? Because of disobedience. I know this isn't like a flurry, feel-good, ice cream sandwich kind of message. This is not a fun message, but God gets angry at disobedience. No different than any of us would be upset if my, our child or our children don't listen to us, if at work, if we're a teacher, when our students don't listen. Disobedience is not okay. But yet we've found excuse after excuse 
to say why we don't listen and why we don't do what God has called us to do. We paint the picture of how low we are. Oh, well, no, I couldn't be used. I'm no good. You can't do that. What is it? We're just making excuses. Because it's not about you. It's about God that is in you. And God that is God of this universe, God that is omnipotent, and he wants to work through you, but you have to step out and do that and let him do that. I hope two people, three people are getting this today. Don't let your past disqualify your future because it's not about you. Nowhere in this passage of scripture, show me one place you can't where God is saying, oh, it's okay, Moses. You're, you're number one. You're awesome. It's okay, buddy. What does he say? He said, no, he gets angry. Why? Because you're, it's making the focus on you and what you can't do rather than how big your God is and what I can do. Somebody better say amen to that. When will we start stepping out and, having, and watching God's power move through our faith and through our obedience? Again, I pose the question, is your relationship marked by a desire for obedience? And I'm going to close with two questions. The first question I want to ask today is, do you have a relationship with this God? Have you said yes to Jesus and made him Lord of your life? That's question number one. And if you haven't, we can pray with you. We can show you exactly how we would love to introduce you to Jesus today. Many of us probably fall into the second question here today. And that's if you have a relationship, are there areas of disobedience or delayed obedience in your life right now? And I believe the spirit of God is revealing to you right now places where you have said no to what God has called you to do. Has your walk with God become dry? Is it hard to press through? Is it, is it, where is that, that joy, that, that flame, that excitement that used to be there? Where is that at? A lot of times, if you back up and you ask God and you pray, he'll show you exactly where there was that moment where you said, no, it's not for me. I'm not going to go that way. But the good news is there's forgiveness. The good news is that God is big enough, and God still wants to use you today. So many Christians want desperately to see the power of God in their lives, but they don't want to commit to the obedience that will obtain it. You want to see God move mightily? Then be obedient. And I promise you will experience things that you never thought possible. You will experience new depths in your walk with God that you never knew existed, but it comes through our obedience. Most of us are not going to be called to lead a people out of a country holding them captive, okay? But we are called 
to share the gospel with people that we come across every day. You don't have to pray about that, I promise you. You don't got to ask for God's direction and leading and guidance, and you don't have to put a fleece out or whatever on if you should share the gospel with somebody. If you're going to make a mistake, share the gospel, all right? If you're going to default to something, share the gospel. Do you understand? That is what we're called to do is share and proclaim the good news. We're called to give. We're called to give. Not just money to the church, that's part of it, but we're called to, again, give of our lives. We're supposed to give freely to others. When we see a need, and if we can meet it with somebody, then we do that. We're generous to people. We show the love of Christ to people. And we serve. Again, see, that's the church. These are just places to to be able to function and do these types of things. Can you give? Yes, you can. Can you serve? Sure, you can. But this also carries out of here. It's not just on a Friday. How are you serving that person next to you at work? Maybe somebody's been in the hospital and they can't, and you need to take them a meal. Are you serving them? Are you showing them the love of Christ by just being there? So many of us are living lives devoid of the power of God because we say that we believe God is omnipotent, all-powerful with our mouth, but demonstrate our lack of action and disobedience that we don't really believe it. We demonstrate through a lack of action and disobedience that we don't really believe it. Would you bow your heads as we prepare to wrap up the service here? I know that this, again, I know this has been a hard message, and it's, but I pray that it's been a challenging message for you. It has been for me. My prayer for you today is that you have, while even sitting in this message today, been inventorying your life, that God has been able to reveal to you areas where he wants to do so much more, but it's gonna require you to step out in faith. See, we can talk all day till we're blue in the face about how awesome and powerful God is and how he's omnipotent, but how much greater it is to actually experience that in real life. And it only comes through faith and obedience. God is all-powerful. We can see it. We look around this world. We see it in nature. We see it in the the stars, the way they're hung through the sky and this universe and just how amazingly awesome God is in that. But perhaps even the greatest thing is that he wants to use you and he wants to use me to accomplish his plan. Again, God could have shown up to Pharaoh and said, release my people. He could have done it himself, but he called a man that was in the middle of the desert tending sheep who had all but failed, who everything had been closed, that book had been closed, the chapter had been written, yet God said, I have something for you to do, and I need you to step out and do it.
How long, church, will we settle for dry and boring in our Christian walk? I wanna encourage you today, don't walk out of here and let it just be left and fall flat on its face here in this, in this place. Go home today. Through this week, I want you to come back over and over. I want you to go and address those areas immediately and keep going and deal with it and get it right with God. And I want you to take note on what God does when you step out in those areas. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for just how awesome, again, and how powerful you are. God, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us where we have disqualified ourselves just on us. While it's true that we have shortcomings and have made mistakes, Lord, when we do that, when we say, no, we can't do what you've called us to do, we are discrediting you, ultimately. That you're not big enough, that you're not great enough. But the reality is, through Christ's death on the cross and the shedding of his blood, we have been found righteous and we have been made whole. Forgive us, Lord, where we delay in our obedience. God, forgive us of the opportunities we've missed to share the good news with somebody. Forgive us, Lord, where we've reduced you to something much less than you truly are. God, I pray for each person here today that you give a renewed vision of who you are. Let our eyes go from ourselves to who you are and how great you are. God, I thank you for what you've done in this place today, what you've done in our hearts today. And I pray, Lord, that we truly, truly set out to know how amazing and good and great our God really is. And we worship you because of it. In Jesus' name, amen.